welcome to Vesa Talks podcast. Today, I'm super happy to introduce Daniel Lagnon. I believe that's the way he said. <laughs> that's uh, Daniel co-founded his startup Cork and soon after got robbed by developers, lost all of his savings and had to deliver pizza at night to survive. <laughs> For their second developer, him and his co-founders flew to the slums of Pakistan and still they didn't receive the software as required. In the end, Daniel and his team built one of the biggest service marketplaces in Switzerland, and he was featured in Forbes 30 Under 30. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the kind intro. Yes, I'm Daniel. <laughs> awesome. Daniel Lanier, as you uh, correctly pronounced it. And I'm Fantastic. one of the co-founders of Cork. It's one of the biggest marketplaces for services in Switzerland. It's, you can compare it to those people who live in America, uh, to Thumbtag. And yes, we have quite a wild ride. I know that's a typical thing to say as an entrepreneur, but in our case, it really was a, a wild ride. And I'm happy yeah, to talk absolutely. about it, happy to let other founders know what not to do <laughs> and which <laughs> big mistakes to avoid because we definitely made some big mistakes, but it also gave rise to a lot of opportunities and interesting challenges. And so absolutely. So, so Daniel, so walk me a little bit through your uh, uh, early beginnings. I know that uh, you uh, started uh, a vegan startup uh, when you were only 15 years old. So w walk us through some of your entrepreneurial journey from that time on. I think our viewers would love to hear about that. Of course. So in general, I don't regard myself as an entrepreneur. I never have okay. and never identify myself as one, although a lot of people call me and my co-founders, entrepreneurs, uh, it always was just a passion of us to build and develop companies. And companies were just means to um, propagate an idea into the world. And one thing that we had in mind was veganism. When we were 14, it was quite a popular top or becoming a popular topic. And we thought like, okay, well, we can order pizza, but we can't order vegan food. And that's why we started a vegan delivery, home delivery service before Uber, before Uber Eats, before all those delivery services existed and just delivered. We cooked in school and delivered the food. Uh, we rented the kitchen at a school, not our school, because they didn't want to let us, didn't let us and delivered food. It was a complete chaos. And honestly, well, it, it didn't succeed. We did have some mild success, but definitely wasn't big. And but what it gave us was some learnings and sort of a kick into entrepreneurship, into building companies. And I can I'm although again, it wasn't successful. It was sort of a founding ground for the next companies. And I definitely uh, wouldn't have build the the, the, um, the second and the third company if I hadn't started the absolutely company, the being the well usually you know most uh, entrepreneurs or business startup guys or whatever you want to call it um, go through a lot of different uh, uh, trials and tri tribulations so from that experience uh, walk us through your next steps and uh, and and how you did that so the next thing that we've built is again with the same co-founders was Cork, which is the service marketplace. In the beginning, the idea was initially more that students 
that just don't have a lot of some free time, uh, but not a lot, and don't have any diplomas and can't afford to get a job. Have some skills to offer in the neighborhood, and we just need some money, some extra pocket money, and started offering just our personal skills, such in my case it was like fitness, uh, gardening, uh, in the neighborhood. And people loved it. They said, wow, well, first of all, it's local. Second, it's much cheaper than other professional services. But the quality is still high because students are highly motivated. They care about the service. And they're cheap, cheaper because they just don't have a professional background. And on this funding uh, ground, we realized, okay, well, maybe there might be a demand for this, a bigger one. And as all the entrepreneurs... We are talking about that at that time about apps, so we thought, let's build an app out of it. It wasn't a big vision that we had. It was purely a practical thing that we tried to resolve. And then we just took, put some technology on it. And yeah, so we, we started searching for developers because we couldn't develop ourselves. At that time, we were okay. 19. We, were, we just got out of high school. And we looked everywhere in Switzerland. We talked to a lot of developers and we found one. We thought he's, he's, he's a good match and made a deal with him and started developing with him. And for about six months, we didn't get anything. And after six months, uh, we realized he robbed us and he robbed all of our <laughs> savings. And I mean, wow. we weren't rich. We didn't have a lot, but we put everything we had. One of my co-founders, he even sold his not very expensive car to finance the first version of this app. So literally everything was gone and we were devastated. We had no money. We didn't have any app. We own, we even skipped university because we believed in this vision and in this app and we had nothing suddenly. And plus we had a developer in our company who robbed us. So finding investors to find it, to, buy, to build a new app was not a solution. And Crazy. then we, we just went on to survival mode, started delivering pizza at night. So we could <laughs> finance a new app. And during the day we were working on our startup. And this took about four months so, until we gathered a lot of some money and we searched again for a lot of developers we flew everywhere we went to poland we talked to ukrainian developers we this time we searched outside of switzerland so we and we went to germany to every corner of the world we talked to developers and all of them were bad too expensive too slow uh, they always gave us offers i mean ranging for like 200,000 to 1.8 million dollars for first version of the app which is ridiculous and plus about six to 12 months of development. And then we found through a referral, a group of developers in Pakistan. And we said, let's try it with them, start developing. And about six months later, again, same story. They didn't rob us, but we got the app and we looked at it and just realized that this will not do it. It's not right. at quality, at the level of perfection that we want to have it. It didn't even work properly. Like some basic features just didn't work. Right. We had and didn't you go actually go to Pakistan? Hmm? 
Didn't you actually go to Pakistan? Exactly. We even flew to Pakistan to meet the developers, <laughs> motivate them because they weren't performing. So we said like, okay, let's meet them. And maybe. And so you actually, you actually got on a plane and you went to, uh, is it a Islamabad, I think? Islamabad, exactly. Yeah. I wasn't there. Yeah. My two other co-founders were there. I was here to okay. do the marketing and continue developing the app locally. So we still have someone who talk to the customers and users and the other two co-founders, they flew to pack, actually flew to Pakistan and were in the slums of the slums. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy when people crazy. ask us, I mean, we're young. I mean, at that time we're, I mean, now I'm 21, but then we were 20 people usually go to Mykonos in Switzerland for their holidays or Greece or, uh, I don't know, Istanbul or America even. And people asked us like, what friends asked us, like, where did you go? We were like, we went, we flew to Pakistan <laughs> and they were like, what are you crazy? Right. Awesome. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, speaks to, uh, uh, doing whatever it takes to, uh, start a company. I mean, myself, I started five, uh, companies, uh, over my lifetime. And I know that so many times it's, uh, you know, it's 19 hour days, 20 hour days. You're constantly trying to make payroll. You're constantly trying to raise money. Uh, you're. Uh, hitting up your friends, neighbors, whatever, just to make it a go. And I totally uh, can understand uh, what you did and what you had to do, which is uh, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, the type of commitment that you have to make. You know, a lot of people see this and uh, think it's easy. It's not easy whatsoever. So uh, that's amazing. Great story. I think that, you know, 10, 20 years from now, you're going to be laughing about it. You're probably already laughing about it. I but, mean, uh, yeah, we laugh about it, but it gave us... It all, we all, we, something that we learned is that an obstacle can be, in a way, can be actually the way. It's a quote also from Stoicism. And we realize that more and more that sometimes a way can be blocked by a huge obstacle. And you, th you, might, you might think like there's no way that you can go through it. But once you find a solution, you actually find a much better solution than you initially anticipated. And you go through ways that no one went to and this is right. also how we launched a second company which is a no-code development company agency and when we again the second developers in Pakistan didn't work out we started developing ourselves looked for a better solution and found no code and now it became actually a huge opportunity for us initially it was our biggest issue it was always our biggest problem at the company development and building good product and now it became actually a, a superpower of us. Amazing. So walk us through the, and that company is called Rocket Launch, right? Exactly. Yeah. Tell, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Rocket Launch and, you know, how it works and, uh, you know, what, what your competition is doing and what your future and, uh, looks like. So Rocket Launch is a no-code development company. We basically build software and apps or other companies or founders with no using no code and that at a 10 times faster and cheap and 10 times uh, faster and 10 times cheaper than traditional development companies. And as our story continues in Pakistan, we realized that nothing, it didn't work and we had to find a new solution. We had to de deliver an app in two months for our investors and show something. And we knew that all the companies that we development companies that we talked to, they will take again at least six months to develop it. And then they will deliver something that is not of 
of that the quality that we that we want and so we had no option and everyone besides developing ourselves but everyone told us like no chance you first have to go to university get a degree in develop software development computer science and then you have to practice for four years and maybe then if you're intelligent enough you might develop an app so everyone told us off told us like no chance don't do it but we just didn't have any other option so we just uh, got ourselves into development and looked for um, how to learn it. And we still looked for better solutions than traditional development and found no code. And at the beginning, it was just a good solution for us. We, we, we started learning, we hustled through it. We were working 24 hours to learn and to build the app. During the night, we're learning. During the day, we're coding. Well, we're no, no coding, <laughs> building with no code. And we got, eventually, we got so fast that and quick that we could relaunch, rebuild the complete app in about two weeks. And people started noticing that and said like, wow, that's amazing. Like, could you do that for us? I mean, we have this idea and same thing issue with developers. We looked everywhere. They were too expensive, too slow, not thinking entrepreneurially. And you guys, you build, you're building an app in two weeks that normally takes six months to build for a much cheaper price. Could you do that for us? We said like, no, no, we have to focus on Quark. We have to build our marketplace, no time. And eventually someone even put money on the table and said like, look guys, just build it for me, please. And then that's the point where we realized, okay, maybe there is something behind it. Maybe we can build a company that develops software and apps for other founders and companies 10 times faster and 10 times cheaper using no code. Awesome. And, and did you... Um... I know uh, that uh, you're raised some money or you're going to raise money. Uh, what does that look like right now for you? Yes. So uh, for Quark, we raised money. It's also a crazy story. The, Let's it, hear it. <laughs> it began with the, the, the realization when after we delivered, we were just hustling so much that it started our performance started suffering because we were delivering at night, sometimes even during the day. And we didn't have so much time left to actually build our startup. And that's why we decided that we need to raise some money. And we had, again, no idea how to do that. We had no degree where, or economical knowledge how to do this. So we just started uh, talking to other successful people. And they told us, yeah, it's not that hard. Just talk to... First, you have to talk to VCs and then talk to angels. If plan A doesn't work, talk to plan B. Like, okay, we'll try that. So we wrote to every VC in Switzerland and also some across the world. And everyone immediately told us like, no, you're too young. You have no experience. We like the idea, but it's not the greatest. So please just come and get a degree first and come back in several years with a better idea. So like, okay, no problem. Then we started writing to angels. We wrote to about 500 angels. It was around 400, 500. Everyone individually, within mass spam people, we really literally wrote one on one every email. And uh, everyone told us, no, you're too young. You have no degree. Go get a degree and come up with a better idea. So then we were like, okay, well, plan A didn't work. Plan B didn't work. What should we do? 
we asked again successful founders what should we do and they said yeah well it's not hard just go to first talk to vcs if they say no then talk to angels if they say no well then uh, you know it's 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 a failure and we're like well we did plan a and plan b and both didn't work what should we do next and they didn't have an answer and he said one critique that we got is like well uh, you didn't write to enough uh, people because when I when I raised money, I wrote to about 200 people. It was a huge hustle and five of them said yes. And we were thinking, well, we wrote to about 600 people and no one said yes. <laughs> so that shows us again that sometimes it just takes much more effort, but it will work. So the, we got desperate and just started writing to everyone who had money <laughs> in Switzerland. Bankers, CEOs, successful founders who weren't officially uh, investing in startups, doesn't matter, lawyers, doctors, everyone, everyone told us no, we wrote to about again, a thousand people. And until someone re responded and said, well, wait, I'm actually interested. And you know, we were all, we already used to like deleting the emails because so much people told us no that uh, we almost also delete this email. But this guy said, oh, I'm interested, let's meet. We're surprised. And we went to his office, met him. He took an anal analyst with him. And at the end, he asks a couple of questions, um, some suspicious ones, some more promising. And in the end, he asked his analyst, well, should I invest? And the analyst told him, well, they're young. They have no degree. It's a good idea, but it's really hard to develop it in, in Switzerland. So basically the last person who was mildly interested, uh, told that, uh, that his analyst told him no chance. And then a couple of days later, we got three emails forwarded by this person and from other founders and other analysts. Uh, asking if she sh he should invest and all of them told no and he just asked <laughs> us like please respond to this email and we'll see and we're just like well doesn't matter let's just respond <laughs> whatever we already wrote to so many people who cares who responded and then we two days later we had a call with him and he said well no one believed in you no one believed in this idea and these are the most valuable teams and ideas and he to about a week later, the money was on our bank account. And this Amazing. built one of the biggest companies in the world and in Switzerland, definitely one of the biggest in Switzerland. He's hugely successful. We can't say who it is. Uh, it's not a trick. It's, uh, he just really doesn't want to, and we want to keep our, our promise. Uh, but it shows again that it was a huge obstacle. No one believed in us, but this obstacle, we still went through it and it gave rise to an amazing opportunity to work and have a, a super successful founder as an investor. That's amazing. I mean, re really, really cool story. The one thing that I heard, which doesn't, you know, uh, resonate with me coming from North America, US uh, and Canada is that uh, this degree thing. I mean, there is nobody in the US that would tell you to go get a degree. So this must be a European thing, you know, because I mean, a degree doesn't do anything for uh, business, really. I mean, if you're, I suppose, a, a, a coder or something, but I mean, as a, as, a, as a business owner, startup or entrepreneur, the 
you don't want a degree. It's actually like detrimental to your 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 journey. So I'm 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 really surprised to hear that, and uh, you know, and that leads me to the next question, and that is uh, being in Switzerland, uh, and uh, you know, it's a, a German, French speaking market, some Italian, I suppose, uh, uh, wanting to expand into obviously Austria and Germany, Germany being a much bigger market. Uh, how do you see that as a challenge? Because obviously, you know, uh, the U.S. is still, you know, number one uh, in the world in terms of uh, entrepreneurship. There is nothing that comes close uh, in terms of volume and quality. So how does that uh, how does that affect you being in Switzerland? You know, because obviously Switzerland is a very you know old school country with bankers, and uh, you know we do things this a certain way. Uh, you know, hearing that you're too young and you need to go get, go to school is absurd to me. Uh, so how 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 do you see that uh, in comparison to you know the U.S. for example, or with your plans to expand into into different markets? So. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. So the question is why, what's my opinion on the degree, if you need a degree as an entrepreneur? Well, no, what's, what's your opinion on Switzerland being very, very conservative and you mm -hmm. wanting to be an entrepreneur and how, how does it, how, how does that, you know, like, why didn't you just go to the U S I mean, why are you trotting in, in Switzerland? Uh, you know, I mean, it's great that you found somebody. It's awesome. I like that. But like, why didn't you just go to the U S I, I, I don't I don't think that anybody uh, in the U.S. would have told you to go get a degree. It doesn't sound right to me. So can you explain that to me? Yes. So we actually thought of going to the U.S. And we, we just, in the end, the discussion was or the, the discussion started with like Switzerland's not a, the market is too small. So we have to go to a bigger market. That was already later stage in the company, but still soon soon and still early enough that we could take make this choice and we looked at every market and germany and us were the last like two biggest opportunities for us so we looked at both and we decided to try out germany but us was also in the discussion <clears throat> and i went to berlin <clears throat> sorry i went to berlin for a month and tried to build cork there and I realized it was too competitive. And the reason why we didn't go to the US is just because there's, of course, there is this entrepreneurial mindset, which is great. But just also because of that, a side effect is that there's much more competition. And we just didn't have the resources. And we, we believe that, well, Europe might be more conservative, but there's so much opportunity as well in terms of building uh, companies that already exist in the US and don't exist in in Europe. And that's why we decided to to stay here. Okay. But there, it's definitely a a hurdle that and a boundary for founders to that they have to jump jump over at this conservative look at at startups. Right. Well, I think, um, you know, there's a, a, a lot. I mean, I'm currently in Europe. I was just in Asia and uh, I, uh, I can see the different um, uh, uh, attitudes towards uh, business and startups and whatnot. And uh, I think that 
the number one issue uh, with um, pitching in the U.S. is uh, language hurdles, right? So, uh, you know, you, your English is obviously fluent. Uh, and uh, I, I, I want other entrepreneurs in Europe to utilize uh, your story and experience, which is amazing, and be able to say, well, you know what? We shouldn't just stay in, uh, you know, uh, Romania, let's say, right? So let's expand our search into the rest of the world. Yeah, it's more competitive, but that's a good thing. Competition is very good. It usually brings out the best in things, right? So uh, sometimes I think people just think too small and they're scared to go into a big marketplace. And I, I'm uh, a contrarian by nature. I like to go right to the top and, and you know get beat up because doing that will give you more experience and uh, you'll be able to uh, you know adjust much quicker and better because instead of having sent, I don't know, six, 700 emails, maybe at 100, you would have uh, changed course, you know, because you would have had more information, better information, I suppose, yeah. right? So that's, that's really interesting. I've never really kind of thought about that, you know, being in, 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 in a place like Switzerland, right? So uh, yeah, really inspiring story. So, you know, what um, uh, the Forbes 30 under thir uh, 30 list, which is amazing. Congratulations on that. Uh, I've met many uh, people that made that list and they were pretty uh, amazing uh, business people. Um, how did that go about? Uh, you know, did they just call you? Did you apply? Did you, uh, who told you about that? How, tell us that story. So actually <clears throat> I have a critique and it's also the story how we came, we got into the list and well, and the, the critique of the list. So we, since we were, we didn't have a degree and <clears throat> We were always criticized for being uh, too young and not experienced enough. We said like, okay, well, let's try to get some, some proof for people that we can actually also do it. And we, we got introduced to a person who was already in the, in the list last, the year before. And he told us like, you should, be, you're actually a good candidate. And he introduced us to a person who... Uh, was responsible for choosing candidates and uh, we just applied normally as everyone else and about three months later we got an email with the confirmation that we met, made it to the list now I've to be honest it's a cool thing it's definitely something that gives you proof and this shouldn't be underappreciated but in itself it doesn't serve the company and we realized that quite quickly because we at that moment when we got the email with the confirmation, we had much bigger issues to solve than being getting approval from other people. And I think as a founder, there's always this 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 um, unproductive intention of trying to prove yourself because you're per se as an entrepreneur you're always I'm sorry uh, in on weird grounds um, always going some, a rather individual way that you always try to prove and uh, to other people that you're you're actually good and what you're doing is might be interesting because you always criticize but rather than getting uh, accept uh, rather than trying to fight this criticism should use it as a fuel and continue really solving the issues of your company and not trying to fake prove um your success right 
I think um, it's 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 interesting how nowadays you know people say that you're too young, you know, and uh, it's it's kind of bizarre to me. But I think the way you actually tackle that is actually bring on more experienced people into your echo system, right? Uh, for example, uh, you know, Veza Digital is a very young team, and I'm one of their uh, strategic advisors. So I think, and we have other people that do that. So it's, I think, a, a shortcut for young entrepreneurs to bring on uh, older and more experienced uh, business people that basically can sit in with you uh, at your uh, at your meetings. You know, I think that's really really big. That's going to be a big requirement, and I think in the next five to ten years, right? Absolutely. So uh, you know, I think that there's some value in that. You know, so it's uh, it's. Uh, you know, definitely a learning lesson, I suppose, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so that's that's great. Um, so uh, one of the questions that I always ask uh, my guests is, if you were in my shoes and you would ask a question to you, Daniel, but it wasn't asked, what would it be? Well, there is something. And that is... Um, it's more of a, a subject which I'm more and more interested in or, or a idea that I more and more believe in. And okay. so I'm trying to phrase a question to, to where the answer is about that topic. Well, cool. I would say when you fill cork, you had the vision of building a multi-billion dollar company. Mm -hmm. Why then did you start something s small like a no-code development agency? Okay. And my answer is honestly that one thing we realize is that we don't like the world, well, at least me and my co-founders of entrepreneurship. It's often very much about always talking about the big vision, huge success, instant success, hyper growth, growth hacking, marketplace. It's always about buzz instead of actually building sustainable business. And I'm not experienced enough to give you a clear answer, but my, so far, my experience have shown that, go, that going about things rationally and long-term is more important and leads to actual more success than being irrational, but visionary. We always have this image of an idol of Elon Musk, the visionary, Steve Jobs, the genius. And we always try to find at Cork the thing that would work immediate, this great idea that would resolve all the issues of marketing. This one change in the app that will revolutionize our app and make it <laughs> super user friendly. Yep. It was always about finding this visionary, awesome, great idea. When in fact, with the things that work, we're always just database and data driven, rational, and actually most of the time, small and modest improvements. Same with our rocket launch, with rocket launch. It's not per se something huge. 
someone would argue. Um, because it's just a no-code development agency. But it solves an actual problem, a real problem for someone. And because of that, we're making money. And we're actually already making more money with that agency than with our startup. And it's not a buzzword, it sounds boring, but it's rational and it's we're thinking about it also long term. Not about building something in one month and then selling it for five billion. But instead <laughs> let's say building something for a year and then continuing have a, a big milestone and then continue for another five years. I think entrepreneurs, this entrepreneurship mentality is often something portrayed by media and popularized by the media, but is not a good way of thinking about building actual value long-term business. Right. That's amazing. I really amazing question and great answer. I think myself, I, I actually never liked that term entrepreneur, uh, just like yourself for different reasons. Uh, you know, it was 20, 25 years ago where people were like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. And I was like, eh, it just doesn't sit well with me. You know, it's just like it's it's a term that was back then overused, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, we're talking about the 90s here. And now, like you said, now that I think about it, that you brought it up, it's all about social media, quick bucks. Uh, and like you said, let's uh, build something in three months and sell it for a billion dollars. Right. So I appreciate that. That's a really, really good point. I, I never really thought about that, you know, and, and I wish uh, that more people would have that attitude. I, I suppose coming from Switzerland, you have that ingrained in you, right? You have a little bit more of a stability associated with your uh, uh, upbringing, supposedly, right? And uh, whereas, uh, you know, in the, in the U.S., it's a quick, uh, you know, cowboy style. Let's do it quickly, right? So there is definitely the, you know, the different uh, cultural uh, sides to that, which is really, really interesting. I never thought about that. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, that was really inspiring. I loved your stories and I can't wait to uh, sit down with you in, you know, uh, I suppose 20, 25 years. <laughs> Joking. More than in, a couple of <laughs> in a couple of years and see uh, where you guys take it to. So. Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Daniel. And uh, we'll uh, you. see you again. Thank you, Mario. It was great talking to you. Really interesting questions you've asked. And hopefully I delivered some valuable answers to your listeners and where they can draw Absolutely. some lessons.